Welcome to Do You Have Scripture for That? This is Clay Garrison. Today we're going to talk about uh, the roles of a husband and a wife as defined by Scripture. So we're going to talk about how husbands are to love their wives and how wives are to respect their husbands. And our emphasis is going to be on uh, the husband's role in that. Um, and the, with, basically with what we're talking about today, the, the wife's role is going to be... Um, based on what we're talking about the husband's role being and you'll you'll understand what that means whenever we get to that uh but as a husband that's that's what i'm more so focused on in this podcast episode uh maybe we'll get more into the wife side of things at a future time but for right now that's what i want to focus on uh the reason why i bring this up is that we see that our culture is characterized by the egalitarian drive to press everyone into the same mold um, you can, I mean, you can, you can see this all across culture is that the desire is for everyone to be the exact same, even in the midst of, uh, pushes and, uh, people screaming out for, for us to be different, for us to be individuals. You can kind of see that all of these people who want their own individuality, it's like they all want to be different in the same way. So even though you've got people that might be different from your standard, um, traditional point of view of, of what someone should be like, even though they're rebelling against that, they're all rebelling the same way. And so you have this this mold that they're trying to push everyone into. They want everyone to be the same, to act the same, to think the same. They want everything to be the same because they believe that we can only be equal, we can only be free, we can only be, uh, you know, you name whatever value or virtue they want, you can only have that goodness if everyone is the exact same. You know, you can't be free from oppression unless everyone is exactly the same. And so that's what we see the drive for. And so we see with our with you know the whole gender roles, we see that women have been directed to become more masculine and men have been demanded to become more feminine. And so there's this drive on either side to to try to push towards this middle to try to push women to be more like men and men to be more like women so that they really become to be just this androgynous you know mixture that's that's not really a man or a uh, a woman so that's that's kind of where we're coming from with all of this because this has had a disastrous effect on many marriages it's almost like you know the the old uh hydra from uh, Greek mythology that has you know multiple heads. You've got marriages that, because of this drive for everyone to be equal and everyone to be the exact same, we now have two heads in the home. Whereas Scripture is pretty clear that you know the husband is to be the head of his household. Now we have this drive. Well, everyone's equal. Everyone's the exact same. In order to have the same value, we must have the exact same roles. That's what the world says. Now we have households with multiple heads, and it has become quite a beast to have to slay. So our scripture that we're going to look at today to try to define what biblical roles for husbands and wives look like is in Ephesians 5. So that's where Paul lays the groundwork for the relationship between a husband and a wife. So let's go ahead and go there. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and instead of working at it from the top down, I'd like to actually take it from, you know, from the bottom up, from his last point up, 
because the last couple of verses is laying the the, the groundwork, uh, making the big connection that Paul's trying to make and what he's grounding his, his teaching in. So let's look at verses 31 and 32. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So this underlying connection that Paul's making is between a husband and a wife and Christ and the church. So he's basing what he's saying about a husband and a wife on what is true and what is the real reality of, of Christ and the church. So it's important that as we talk about these things, as we talk about the role of a husband and a wife, it's important that we understand that God instituted marriage to be a picture of Christ and the church and not the other way around. So God didn't just arbitrarily you know, say, um, how can I describe the salvation that, that, that Christ is going to bring about? Hmm, they already have this marriage thing going on, so maybe I should just compare it to their marriage thing that they've already got going on. Mankind didn't invent marriage. God instituted marriage. It came from God when God created Eve for Adam. This is a, it's a God-ordained, God-instituted thing. And the entire purpose for God instituting marriage is to be a is is ultimately to be a picture of what Christ is going to do with the church about the marriage between the groom, the bridegroom and the bride between Christ and the church. And so every part of our marriage should be grounded in God's word and grounded in what Christ has done for the church and and how the church responds to Christ because that's what it's intended to picture. Marriage is intended to picture that greater reality of what Christ has done for the church and what he is doing in the church. And so that's that's what Paul is grounding all of this in. So whenever we go back up and we read how a husband is supposed to treat his wife and how a wife is supposed to respond to that treatment, that's that's not just some arbitrary thing that Paul's making up. If we reject what Paul is saying in these these verses that we're about to go to, ultimately what we're doing is saying that the relationship between Christ and the church is false because that's what Paul is basing this on. And so we have to remember that at all times. Uh, for example, you know, people, especially since the feminist movement and, and all of these egalitarian pushes for everyone to have the exact same role, there's been a heavy push against verses in Scripture that talk about wives submitting to their husbands. And... There's been a push against husbands being the heads of their homes. However, if all of this is based on Christ and the church, then we would never say that Christ submits to the church. You know, we, we would never say that. Um, but we do say that the church submits to Christ. And we say that Christ loves the church and lays his life down for the church. I mean, you, you see how these things are connected. So we can't just outright deny something if... if if we deny the truths that wives are to submit to their husbands who are the heads of their households, if we deny that, then that changes how we view the relationship between Christ and the church. Not because we want it to, you know, be not because we want that connection there, but because Paul explicitly makes that connection. So we have to think about those things whenever we're talking about uh, all of these topics. So let's jump up to those verses. We're going to look at the husbands first. In verses 25 through 30. So I want to read through those. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, 
that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So a husband is supposed to mirror Christ by loving his wife, by giving himself up for her. So we see this idea of, of being ahead is this, is this idea of representing on behalf of. So the husband is supposed to represent his family, first and foremost his wife, but also his children, to represent them before God, to be responsible for them, responsible for nourishing them and bringing them up. And he's supposed to be committed to, committed to that purpose to the point of laying down his life for her, for his wife, and for his children that come from his wife. So we're supposed to give, up, give ourselves up by becoming sacrificial to the point of death and taking responsibility as the head, being that, being that responsible head, federal head, however you want to word that, who is responsible over those that are in his household because God has put the husband in that place. God has put the husband and father in that place. And so what we see here, and, and the purpose that I want to bring about, because what I want to hit at is, what is the husband supposed to be doing? What is his main task in this relationship? Uh, and the purpose of this sacrificial love is to sanctify his wife. So let's go back to Christ. Look at what Christ does. What does Christ do for his bride? Well, it says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So cast away... Um, you know, put laid his life down on behalf of the church for what? In order to do what? He, he show, he's showing his love by laying his life down for the church that he might sanctify her. So sanctify her as in making her holy, setting her apart, and then continuing that process of making her holy, of ridding her of sin. Uh, how does he do that? Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So that's what Christ is doing for the church. That's what he has done, that's what he is doing, and that's what he ultimately will finally do whenever all believers are glorified before him. And so the reason that husbands the the reason that the husband's role is based on this is that husbands are supposed to be doing the exact same thing for their wives. They're supposed to be washing them, uh, cleansing her by the washing of water with the word. They're supposed to be pre presenting her blameless before himself. Now, what am I getting at with all that? Ultimately, we're going to see that she is sanctified by the washing of water with the word. And so how we how are we supposed to interpret that? Well, there's a handful of verses that I want to look at that kind of connect all of these ideas together. So if you'll look at Titus chapter 3, verse 5, we're going to see this idea of the washing of water um, and, and see how it's connected. Uh, uh, Titus 3, verse 5 says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, 
by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So there's that washing of regeneration, that idea of being washed and renewed by the Holy Spirit. And that's connected to this idea of regeneration and a continuing work of sanctification. So there's there's this initial act of regeneration that's happening that the Holy Spirit does that makes a person new, that, that gives them a new heart. Uh, you know, we, we talked in a podcast before about us having hard hearts, hearts of stone. This act of regeneration takes that heart of stone and, and puts in a heart of flesh. It circumcises that heart so that it might be sensitive to God's word and that continuing work of sanctification. And so what we see is that the Holy Spirit is using husbands as a means of applying that washing through the word of God. And so how do we know explicitly that we're talking about using the word of God? Well, let's go to John chapter 15, verse 3. And remember, this this foundation that we're resting all this on is that the relationship between a husband and a wife is based on and really is pointing to the relationship between Christ and the church. So what did Jesus do for his disciples? John 15, verse 3 says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And so you see that Jesus makes clean, Jesus makes his people, the church, makes them clean through the speaking of his word in order that good fruit may be produced. So this is in the middle of a chapter where it's talking about, you know, that that his, his disciples need to abide in him if they're to produce fruit, that he is the vine, they are the branches. If they're cut off from the vine, they're not going to produce good fruit. But what he's saying here is that, you know, you're already made clean. I've made you clean by the word that I have spoken to you, and now you can produce these good fruit. So let's continue uh, with another another idea connected to this in John 17. Just to really nail this point down. John 17, 17, this is Jesus praying for his disciples and, you know, the church across time, across history. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so this process of sanctification comes through the truth. The truth needs to be heard. The truth needs to be processed by these believers. They need to hear it. They need to be washed in it. And that truth is found in God's word. It's found in his very word that he gives to us. And so what we find is that the husband's primary way that he loves his wife is by washing her with the sanctifying word of God. And so that's my argument is that the husband's primary way of loving his wife is through washing her with God's word for the purpose of presenting her holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Does that mean she's going to be perfect? No. But there is this process of her being sanctified, of her own personal walk of being sanctified with Christ, that God is using husbands to to see that happen, which we we already grant that whenever we talk about um, husbands and fathers being the spiritual leader of their homes, right? We see that there's a responsibility that's placed on fathers to guide their family in their worship of God and in their, their relationship with God through Christ. And, and so the way that he does that, the way that the husband does that, is through washing his family and first and foremost his wife and sanctifying her and them with the word of God. That's how that happens. It doesn't happen any other way but through that word. And the word is what's going to bring that change about. So what does that look like? What does that come in the form of? Is it just, 
you know, opening your Bible and just reading passage by passage by passage, you know, yeah, that's that's an option. But here's some other ways that we don't really think about. I'm just gonna I'm gonna list a few. One, uh, family worship and singing. I know a lot of times we don't we don't have traditions set in place, or we don't have you know regular times that we sit together as a family to study God's word and to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs together so that we can grow. We don't you know a lot of times now in our modern setting we don't have those times set up. Historically that was a thing that happened more so in the past and that should be something that we should get back to because that is one way of how fathers acted as the spiritual head of their homes is by leading those times of family worship. And we can make excuses about well I'm not a good teacher or I can't sing or things like that but at the end of the day God won't call you to something that he hasn't equipped you to do. So you might not be an all-star teacher, but God has given you a wife and children, and he's commanded you to bathe them in the word. And if he's commanded you to do that, then he's going to equip you to do it sufficiently. And ultimately, uh, the efficacy of what you're doing isn't going to be found in your skill. It's going to be found in the grace uh, of the Holy Spirit working in that situation and working through that teaching. You know, even though you might stumble through it, the Holy Spirit is uh, the power source behind all of that. It's not in our own abilities anyways. So that's that's one way we can do this. We can wash our family with the Word is through family worship and singing times, deliberately setting apart those times to do that. Another example is through counsel, guidance, and correction. And this is something that probably honestly probably seems foreign to us how often as a husband have you noticed sinful behaviors that your wife has and you've approached her with god's word and said look you know i've I've noticed that this is going on and it's contrary to god's word and it's something that we need to pray through and work through because you know god's word says that this isn't right this is sinful behavior i mean that just flies in the face of of everything that the modern our modern culture tells us to do you know how dare you say that somebody's doing something the wrong way or 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 you feel like that you have uh the moral superiority to come at me you know with bible verses to say that i'm doing something wrong but here's the issue if husbands have been put in the in the place of being responsible for their family then that means they have a moral obligation before god to approach those things if god for example, if me, if God is going to hold me responsible for how I led my family, then part of that being held responsible is whether or not I, I uh, took reproof or gave reproof whenever it was needed. When it, you know, whether or not I corrected my family whenever they were going astray, because I've been put in that position as almost a a under under shepherd. You know, we talk about elders, pastors of churches being under shepherds under Christ. Well, fathers and husbands in their homes are kind of like even smaller shepherds in that sense, you know, pastoring their own family. If 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 we just completely neglect sinful behavior in our home, then we're neglecting our duty that God has made us responsible for. And so one might ask, well, okay, say, you know, you well, actually, I'm going to get to that point later. We'll get to that later. All right, so that's the, that's another area, counsel, guidance and correction. So whenever you're noticing something going off track, making that correction according to God's word, not according to your standards, not according to uh, what you find convenient or acceptable 
or you know name name whatever you'd like on that list it's it's not by your standard it's by God's word and your authority isn't based on who you are as a person your authority is based on God's word in that situation on what God has said that's where your your headship comes from it's from God himself and so your standard must be God's word and God's law and what God says is right and wrong sinful and righteous so that that's the standard that we have to go to and finally, you know, another way that you can wash your family, and specifically your wife, in the Word is conversations that are rooted in the Word. How often do you just have conversations about things that are going on in the world and what the Bible has to say about those things? You know, this podcast name is Do You Have Scripture for That? And it's supposed to give us a mentality of everything that we're looking at in the world that the Bible has something to say about it. Well, as husbands... We're called to be students of the Word. If, if we're going to apply God's Word to every area of life, if we're going to bring our family up under that and wash them in the Word, then we're going to have to be good students of the Word. We're going to have to know how to use it, how to, how to get truth from it, how to know what to say and how to approach things. So we, we have to be students of that so that we can have conversations that are rooted in the Word. That whenever... You know, whenever your wife's having a hard day and there's something going on in her life that, that you you can know that situation, recognize that situation, and go to God's Word and know where to pull something from, where to, where to get uh, comforting words, encouraging words, whatever the situation may need, uh, might need, that you can go there and get that and apply, that, apply God's Word to that situation. Um, once again, not taking your thoughts and your feelings but grounding the authority that God has given you in His Word. You're basically pointing back to your authority, which is God. You're not, you know, you're not the authority in and of yourself. You're pointing back to your authority who set you in that place. And so in light of all of this, so those are all the ways that, that you know, not exhaustively, but those are some ways that you can you know, wash your wife in the Word, sanctifying her in the Word. So in light of this, a wife is then commanded in those verses above, look at verses 22 through 24, wives are commanded to submit to their husband. So let's look at those verses. Verse 22 through 24, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And so we see that in light of all of this situation, a wife is commanded to submit to her husband because he is called to represent her before God. And so we see this, there's this connection between representation and responsibility and it involving submission. And we see that in every form of government that God has put in place. This might be the topic of another podcast episode, but it's, it's pretty recognized that there's three forms of government that God has put in place. And you see, you know, the... the the civil magistrates, or, you know, a lot of times we just use the word government, you know, to talk about the state and the federal government and things like that. But, you know, an, an older term for that is civil magistrates, and they've been put in a representative place over the people that they're governing to the point that they are representing us. And so there's the implied, um, there's an implication that, that we should submit to them because they are representing us. Now, there's always situations where uh, 
you shouldn't render obedience. That might be a whole other episode. I'm, I'm trying to draw a point, though, that um, that there's a connection between being head or being being responsible and there being a requirement to submit from those who are under that head. Another example is the elders. You have pastors of churches, the elders, that, that they are called to lead the church in a way to represent and to and to um, be responsible for that local body of believers. And so by that same token, that that congregation is called to submit to that leadership. Are there are there cases where elders abuse that leadership and congr- and the congregation shouldn't obey what they're saying? Yes, absolutely. That's the same thing with the civil magistrates. Well, in the same way, you have the husband, the father, who is the head over his family, which implies that the family should submit to that headship. Can there be a husband who abuses that that power and the family should seek outside uh, means of addressing that situation? Yes, absolutely. But that doesn't take away from the fact that there's a connection between the way God institutes things, that he, he has a hierarchy for a reason, and that he, he forms things and makes things function in that way for a reason. And once again, that's something that we can get into. But just as Christ is the head of the church and represents the church, the husband represents his family and his wife in particular before God. And so there's this connection between these ideas. And so she is to submit, the wife is to submit to his leadership in order that she might be sanctified by the word that he is washing her with. And so you see this idea of submission isn't some uh, slavery idea that, well, every little whim that he has that I'm just, you know, I just have to do whatever he tells me to do. And it's just this idea of being a slave. No, you take what it's saying in light of the entire passage. Um, Whenever you have a husband who understands his role of being the head as being not somebody that just has this unlimited power that can do whatever he wants to with his family, but this idea of that he is being put in a position by an authority over him, and he's being held in, he's being held accountable by that authority over him to govern his family according to that authority's word, according to God's word, then those in his family should have every reason to want to submit to his leadership, knowing that the ultimate authority, God, has the best intentions for that type of relationship. That God did not build the family for there to be two heads. You know, for the for the wife and the husband to be the head. He didn't build the family to be that way. He didn't build the family for the wife to be the head and for the husband to submit to the wife. That is not how he built the family. He built it in a particular way so that the husband might picture Christ and that the wife might picture the church and that the husband might wash his wife with the word of God and and ultimately his entire family to bring them up into a into a right knowledge and a right obedience to the Lord that the Holy Spirit sees sees to that fact that it'll happen. So what we see is just this grand picture that God has created marriage not only as a means for us to be able to multiply, for us to have companionship and all these other good benefits that come with marriage, you know, in a in a temporal sense, you know, in a this worldly sense, but ultimately marriage is a type, a pointing forward and a you know, it's a, it's a partial reality now of the relationship between Christ and the church and the marriage together of Christ and the church. And so that's that's ultimately what all of this is pointing towards. And so we shouldn't reject the Bible's uh, 
the Bible's form of home economics or home relationships, uh, how the husband and wife interact with each other in a home, we shouldn't reject what the Bible has to say about that because if we do, we're rejecting what the Bible has to say about Christ and the church in the process. And it's harming the gospel by saying that. And if, if you can make the connections, this also has implications uh, for so-called homosexual marriages and all the transgender issues and, and all of that stuff. Because if you, if you now have a male and a male who are pretending to come together in marriage, you're completely distorting the gospel of Jesus Christ because you no longer have the, the, groom, the bridegroom and the bride coming together. You no longer have Christ and the church coming together. It's, it's a complete distortion of what marriage was created for, of, of pointing forward to Christ and the church. But that's a whole separate point. Just throw that out there for you to think about. But we, we really need to, to get back to what Scripture is saying here. Because part of, our, part of our issue is we have husbands and wives who are living together almost like they're roommates. Um, they both have their own plans, their own ideas, their own goals. And it's, it's almost like there's just there are these two individuals who are separate from each other that just live together. And they share, they share some things, but then everything else is just separate. Whereas the Bible has this idea of us becoming one flesh. And that one flesh involves the husband being the head and the wife submitting to that head for the good of both, for the good of the entire family, for the good of the children that are going to be produced from that one flesh union. There's a reason why we, that, that the, the church is united to Christ and they aren't just they aren't equals, but you know in, in a sense of that they're all just morphed together, but Christ is the head and the church is the body. So that what's bestowed upon the head gets applied to the body as well. When the Holy Spirit is given to Christ and poured out to Christ, Christ then gives it to the body. It's like the oil that flows down Aaron's, you know, the, the random psalm that you read talks about oil flowing down Aaron's beard and covering his entire body. You know, that's pointing forward to this spirit that's anointing the entire body because the body is connected to the head. In the same way, if, if God has put husbands in this position as the head, then it's, it's in the wife's interest to submit to that leadership because he should be obediently giving that word and washing his wife in the word so that the whole family grows together. So I think I've made the point or tried to make the point. Um, I hope that that's something that you can benefit from, something that you can learn from, and try to seek to apply that in your lives. If you're a woman listening to this or a wife listening to this, then you know sometimes it can be challenging because a husband might not be living according to the standard. Um, a husband might not be trying to wash you in the word. But that's something that we have to pray through, something that we have to grow through, recognize that God has, has called wives to submit to their husbands, um, sometimes, it, it, sometimes in even hard situations. Um, that's something that we can continue to think through and talk through, though. Um, primarily in this podcast episode, I was wanting to, to cover the, the husband's role in this and what he should be about. Uh, so I would encourage you that if, if you don't have a husband who, who does that, that you would pray for him, that you would pray to his authority who put him in that situation, that his authority would convict the, the under-authority that he's put in that place, which would be your husband. Um, go read First Peter uh, chapter 3, the first first several verses, and you can see how even even a godly wife 
who doesn't even speak out, you know, really against what her husband's doing, a godly wife who lives in a godly way before her husband can have drastic effects on, you know, her husband's life and, and where he goes, uh, from there. So I, I would just encourage you to read that and do some thinking on that. But uh, that's all we're going to talk about today. Uh, this has been Do You Have Scripture for That? Uh, this is Clay Garrison. I thank you for listening. Bye.